And we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to July's Hotelier Pulse session. It's great to have you joining us, wherever you might be joining us from. Um, it's also great to welcome Mr. Pedro Calaco. Uh, Pedro is the CEO and founder of Guest Centric and also Great Hotels of the World. Pedro, lovely to have you joining us again today. How are you? Good, Andre. Uh, we're, um, you know, countdown to vacation, so to annual leave. I think we all are in dire need of it. So I couldn't agree with you more and uh, mine's coming up very soon. I am certainly looking forward to it. I can assure you of that. <laughs> okay, great. Also joining us today again for the second time is Mr. Gavin Eccles. Gavin is the managing, managing partner at GE Consulting for Aviation and Tourism. Gavin, it's great having you back joining us. Welcome. How are you? Andre Pedro, it's great to be back. It was March or February of 21, so a long time. Um, it's a, long time. a lot a lot has happened in that no, time. It has, it has. It? And uh, it's great to be back and hopefully we'll have a good chat again. I think so, for sure, for sure. Also, before we get started, Lee's going to put the link into the report, uh, into oh, for, sorry, for this month's report into the comments section. For anybody that's interested to have a look at it, you can download it from that link. And also for any hoteliers who might be joining us um, and would like to contribute to next month's report, Leah will also put the link in where you can do that. Okay, so with all of that said, let's get started. Pedro, what have we got for this month uh, to kick us off? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to start just with a, with a happy face, which is, I think, <laughs> overall, everybody's very excited about where the industry is right now. Um, June was an absolutely fantastic month um, in terms of uh, check-ins and check-outs. Uh, July is looking very, very solid. And therefore, um, in our June, this was obviously done during June, uh, over 91% of our of our, you know, surveyed hoteliers said that they expect to increase for the full year to have a better full year in 2022 than in 2021, which um, I think most of them are already there. So, so I just wanted to start with, with you know, I, I remember that a few months ago I said it's going to be good news after good news, and I think that's where we are. We're in good news after good news. Yeah, that's very good. And, and Gavin, from your perspective, you know, obviously you said before, it was last time you were with us was February of last year. That's quite some time ago and a lot's already changed in the world, especially as we're coming, uh, I'm reluctant to say out of COVID, but we're cer we've certainly passed a hump, I think. And I think the world is more accepting of the fact that it's here and here to stay. How, how have you noticed things in the, in the time that we've last spoken? What's your perception of generally everything around aviation and travel? It, it, it's really boomed, you know, and that's what we're going to get on to. And if you look in, in, in July now, July 22, we're about 14% down on total seat capacity versus what would have been 2019, which was the biggest year ever for aviation. So the recovery is a lot quicker than any of the consultancies were suggesting back in mid-20. Now, that that's one of the challenges that we're going to come on to. So generally... We're around 27% down on international capacity and only 5% down on domestic capacity. Hence why that average is about 14%, um, which from the point of view of, of saying where we, we've come from, it's a brilliant recovery on capacity now, you know. So 
demand is different, but capacity is what we were worried about, that airlines were going to be bankrupt, that airlines were parking aircraft. We are now at this stage of summer 22 with only 14%. And if you think that's without China International, now China's up 5% on total capacity for the summer on domestic. But if we think we're 27% down on international without the biggest travelers in 2019 not traveling, Chinese, yeah. it could have been even better. It could have, or it could have been even worse in relation yeah. to some of the challenges that we'll go and talk about later. So generally, yeah. recovery is on the way on capacity for sure. Yeah, great, great. All right, that's very good to hear. I also think um, there's a couple of things that we'll, we will touch on a bit later as we go through this session based on the, uh, the the positive recovery, just how the airlines are actually coping with that now and how they're ramping back up as well as obviously our industry overall. But let's have a look first of all at the slide that Pedro's got up here now. P Pedro, what's this one talking I, about? I'm, try I'm trying to relate. So Gavin was talking about air capacity and this is actually occupancy uh, through the year, right? So in terms of nights. So there's obviously correlation here and actually for the full year we're down about 14 uh, percent and the gap actually to 2019 has been quite stable over the course so um i don't know maybe gavin can comment on this but maybe you know the ramp up has been similar to 2019 in terms of air capacity or it has been a lot quicker i'm sure you can comment on that the only sort of you know highlight here is this uh, week here which is easter week where obviously um, the gap was a little bit closer, but other than that, really on capacity, so to say, on occupancy, the gap is very similar to what we're seeing in terms of air capacity. Now, if you look, for instance, just last week, um, again, you see, oh, sorry, um, uh, nights down 13%, but revenue actually up 6%. So there's this factor here, which I don't know if in the airline industry, it reflects the same or not, but just because pricing is up by 28, 29, 30% versus 2019, we have this effect where actually hotels are not as occupied, but they're actually generating a lot more revenue. And then the second sort of double whammy for their, for their bottom line is that direct is up 17 percentage points versus 2019. So they're not paying as much commission to the OTAs. So they're getting more revenue, not paying as much commission, so they're getting more margin into their properties. And this is something that we've seen um, through the year. Um, if you look here, so the, the graph is almost the same as the other one. This is now based on euros and not based on nights. It's only that, you know, since week eight or so, actually we've turned the corner and we've been better than 2019. So through, you know, through last week, we're up 9% in terms of revenue versus 2019. So while you know capacity is down occupancy is down actually financially hotels are better off and i think that's that's very good news yeah that is good news um obviously as we've seen flight disruptions impact travel and following the steady increase that we've seen in business optimism from february of this year so far um, I believe that this uh, month's edition of the Pulse Report shows a slight dip in hoteliers' optimism about their business performance over the next 12 months. So thinking about the broader travel industry as a whole, Gavin, how optimistic do you feel about business performance in, in, for the remainder of this year? And uh, why, why, why would that be? And then I'd, I'd like to ask um, Pedro also the same question, get Pedro's response to that too. If we, Andre, we are about a... The market at the moment is about 100 million seats a week 
in the aviation world. That that's wow. a, an increase of threefold on twenty one. So you can see why there may be this worry that we've increased so dramatically. And if we go back to twenty twenty, we had about fifteen thousand planes parked up. But by February of this year, we were down to around 8,000 parked. So I think what we probably were unaware that just how fast we were going to move from winter 21 to summer 22 and really ramp that up that caused this big issue. But the big issue at the moment, we had about 1% of total cancellations in 2019. Mm -hmm. Last week, we were at 2%. Mm. which was a little bit better. June was bad. June was 3 to 4% cancellations. So we, we'd, if we, I think we've gone through the worst. I think airlines have made that little bit of where they've had to take out some capacity they have. But if we're looking at August and September, there's no real fall away. So in terms of what we're seeing at the moment, this kind of bullish summer period of capacity, it, it's an optimistic view. But it's going ahead, you know, not sure about November when we move into the winter. We'll, we'll come on to that. But really, just at the moment, the hoteliers should not be so worried about what's happened in the last month or so. It's a lot of negativity in the press, for sure, and seeing all these suitcases parked up at Heathrow, etc. Yeah. But, you know, it's... it's, and, it's and, the shipple, the, and the shipple uh, yeah, lines. You know, and, and now it... That, you know, should you cap the numbers of movements, are you people, or should you cap the numbers of seats? So this is kind of, let's see, as, get as many planes as we can leaving, but maybe you can't put everybody on them. And, you know, Emirates has been making some serious noise that this is not allowed and this is completely against the, the you know, regulation, that we can't not be seen to be selling seats. Um, but, yes, I think it, it, it it's kind of inevitable that maybe in February we could see it coming and it was kind of uh, turned a blind eye, let's see what happened. And yes, people started or people wanted to travel. So I think the, the, the mentality is up to September. Don't expect any real now changes in scheduling. You know, it's looking as it is. And that is around just under 30% less international than, 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 than 19. But overall, it's around 14% less. So you can right. see from the airline's point of view that they're doing their job the best they can. Of course, it's, it's do we have the, the, the people to deliver this? That, that, that's the issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it seems to be at the moment, doesn't it? Uh, Pedro, how, how do you feel about it as well? I mean, based on so, what so you think I, So I wasn't totally surprised that optimism, you know, lowered a little bit because there was just you know, this flurry of optimism, right? And there was just, you know, pricing going through the roof and so on and so forth that really, I'm not surprised that it dipped a little bit. It's still the second highest in the pandemic. So it's not like it's a it's a major breakthrough, break, breakdown of optimism. But I wanted to show, based on what, um, what um, Gavin was saying, I wanted to show our, um, our cancellation estimates. Hold on, if I can find them. Uh, I'm sure they're here. So, so, so if we look at cancellations, cancellations were trending sort of a little bit above 2019 um, in the early months, but they've now been sort of steadily May, June, July, been growing up towards the 30%, um, 30% of, of, of bookings, which is clearly above the 2019 trend, which is 22, 23%. 
Um, the interesting thing though, so I'm not sure that this has to do with flight disruption, you know, worry about, um, about uh, not wanting to be in line or, or actually people that had double booked hotels and now they're choosing finally their, the hotel they're staying at, right, as the cancellation date comes up. I think the good news here is for most of our hotels that have 14-day cancellation policies, in the last 14 days, they're able to fill up those seats, not seats, but those rooms at a much higher ADR. So this is actually having a positive impact on their financials because they sold, you know, rooms for July back in February that are being canceled and they were at whatever, $200. And now the rate is 350. So actually, even though cancellations are here and they're a little bit of an operational nightmare for the hotels, um, they are overall not that unsatisfied with this pattern. So I think that's sort of an interesting, uh, an interesting twist on cancellations, right? Which is typically seen as something really bad, but now because there's so much pent up demand, they're able to fill those rooms again. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how that green line progresses over the third quarter of the year, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On, on the airline side, remember, you got you obviously got, you know, the, the, the bus- as the business travel is not back as quick as the leisure travel, airlines have, have, have started to cap a little bit the uh, ticketing situation. You know, in the olden days, COVID days, let's call them, cancellations were able were very easy you know you could buy a low yeah. fare ticket and had good policies that's all gone so you know if you're if you're in the low affairs now you can't really make any cancellations so if you think about the leisure traveler they are kind of forced to travel when we said the one percent cancellation that's the airlines within the 48 hours saying we're not going um you know we need to find an alternative for you so i think you know from the leisure traveler's perspective they're likely not to be cancelling because their tickets that they have been buying more recently won't give them the flexibility that they would have had six, you know, six months ago, nine months ago, one year ago when we were trying to book summer. So that's why the long lines. (laughs) Theoretically, yes, yes. It's not, you know, what what the airlines are obviously having to do on some occasions is cancel flights because there's no crew, et cetera. That's within that one to two percent I've been talking about. But generally, you won't be seeing consumers cancelling because they will be on no refund policies. So they want to go. What we might see and be interesting again from from the hotelier's perspective is that as hotels have increased prices, ticket prices have also risen significantly because there's been this pent up demand, which means if you've not, let's say I hadn't yet booked anything for August Maybe yeah. can I get a week away somewhere? Those low fares are not really there at the moment. So you might see last minute business, not as we would have seen back in 17, 18 or 19, when there was always good seats available last minute. They're not there at the moment. Yeah. So I didn't think yeah. from the hoteliers, it's not. Tell me about it. I didn't book my, no, my yes. August trip. So I think I'm postponing it to September. The prices are just absurd right now. Yeah. No, that's yeah, I mean, yeah. also, just, yeah, just with previous reports as well, what we saw was an increase in confidence of the international leisure travel market coming up. And we're starting to see now perhaps a shift, especially in the last report, a shift more towards the domestic leisure market now uh, overtaking that. Um, from the airline's perspective, do you, are you seeing this as well? Is that something that you, you would agree with uh, from, from where you're sitting? 
Well, if I look at if I look at the, the you know the the domestic capacity versus international, yes, there is only we're only at minus five on 2019 numbers for summer. Obviously, if we look at the big three, it's China, USA, and India. Those are the really big three domestic markets. They're all booming. You know, China as they can't travel out. Now, there has been some lockdowns, but China's now kind of reopened domestically again. And for July, their numbers are up five, they're over 5% on 20, on 19's capacity. The US, generally the US is only down minus 10 on domestic, so it's very well. And India, it's, it's nearly at the same levels as 2019. So if you take those big three, um, now... You know, we don't in your, you know, as we're all here in Europe, we don't have huge domestic travel in aviation. Probably right. Germany is probably the biggest right. on domestic and Italy with some of the islands, etc. But, you know, we're not when we think domestic, it's intra-European relative. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So in that way, it's not it's the same. It's European, right? It's European. Of course, and, you know, the, but on these bigger markets where the domestic is really important, you've got people in the US on the call, yes, the, the US domestic travel is booming and that's mm. causing massive issues in the airports in yeah. the States. Yeah. Are you finding as well, because as you mentioned, there are, you know, the, the domestic travel across Europe is slightly different than, than the US for sure, but are you finding that, that that's having an influence on the, the number of pe people committing to flying now based on the price hikes for airfares? Like I know, for example, to fly from Germany to Spain costs perhaps, depending on when you go, sometimes two or three times more than it normally would have pre-pandemic. Um, so is that is that something that's impacting the booking trends are people kind of balking at those extra costs or are they still committing to them and just taking them as they as they come i think there are two, two things one one is that as the domestic as we said in europe the domestic isn't as as strong and, and a lot of that domestic was was leisure related or corporate related excuse me so if i look at if you look at germany as a good example look at lufthansa what has lufthansa done for summer they aren't doing as many frankfurt munichs etc because you don't have that business travel back they're experimenting and you know we saw it here with, with i mean portugal if you lufthansa uh, flying to the azores um lufthansa doing a lot more business into the greek islands so actually they've been, they've been using some of those domestic flights a320s to actually fly on what let's call european routes because there hasn't been as much german domestic need on the pricing it comes back to what i said before andre i think you know the you know, the prices have been going up now really since February and March when we yep. saw this huge spike in, in new demand ready as, as borders opened, etc. So, yeah, you, you can't expect good last minute fares at the moment, unfortunately, for July and August. Now, as Pedro mentioned, try and look at September and October. Fares will come back in line a little bit more to what we would have probably seen. Yeah. Um, so you but, could say if you were thinking about traveling now in Europe at the last minute, you yeah. won't find a cheap fare to, to Spain or Portugal. So maybe you will stay home. Right. And do you think that that's influencing people's decision making? I probably. And if you then throw in all of the, these issues with the airports, et cetera, if we can't get a good, you know, if it's going to cost us three times what it would be to fly and the hotels are more yeah. expensive and all the negativity, maybe we're going to lose some of that last minute um, business. And that might allow people to then take a staycation project and be at home. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of people made the decision to, and of course, a lot of people's bookings in this summer are also coming from last summer 
because they were allowed to throw them over, remember. So even though we have had a good... So if you think about on the capacity, a lot of the seats were already booked that people didn't take last year. Mm. The airlines allowed you to, to, to put that into the system for this summer. So if you think about, you've got people from 21 coming into 22, then all this new demand that wanted to come in 22, you can see why the, the, the demand has gone so well. Mm. There wasn't many seats left when right. you brought all of the people that didn't travel last year forward on vouchers and, and um, giving people options. As I said, in those days, it was very easy to change your ticket. Now yeah. it's not. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's something I didn't know, even consider was the the people from last year bringing them into uh, re- revalidating the travel for this year. That's a very good point. And that what that by doing that, it meant airlines had to put put their inventory into summer back in October, September, yep. October. So yep. we knew the capacity was going to be ready for summer twenty two because of yep. having to have things available to rebook people when we were given an option. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Very and the hotels, would that be the same? Did a lot of hotels allow people to delay for a year? Andrew? I th- I, 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 what we saw was early on, the, the OTAs actually gave the money back to the hotel, okay. to, the, to the people, which was really bad for the hotels. So there weren't many, say, vouchers around. And I think because uh, a lot has been going on, I think that that has not been truly... At least I haven't heard from our, our customers that has been that has that that has been an effect. The other thing that I wanted to ask uh, Gavin is so so uh, this is obviously the feeling of the hoteliers that really leisure is, is dominating and it's dominating stronger and stronger, which is sort of interesting through the pandemic. It's more leisure, more leisure, more leisure. And I've also heard that, for instance, that BA is flying out of Heathrow into leisure destinations just to keep their slots. So, because they don't have the flights to China and you know, the long haul to Asia is almost non-existent, right? So they're flying like short haul European routes just to keep the slots in Heathrow. Um, is that a factor? And do you think that once, you know, Asia opens up again, that potentially all that extra capacity that exists in Europe right now is gonna go away and therefore prices are gonna increase on, on short haul European? Um, it's a very interesting discussion, you know, and I think, you know, the, the, the whole product offer, you know, we, in 2019, we were very, very much driven by corporate travel, business class, extending the, 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 the cabins to have life flat seats, 30 to 35 configurations, etc. Premium economy was, was, was all growing. Yeah. You, the, problem, the problem at the moment with this is that the airlines that have gone for this very high density business project the, the, the yield on the leisure travel is not going to be the same. For instance, if you're going to be flying nine hours on corporate travel, you're likely to be paying full fare. Now, on a holiday travel, you don't need 35, 36 life flat seats if you're not going to get the yield because you'd rather now have five or six rows of premium economy. So a lot of these airlines that invested very heavily on their A330s, 777s with big business sections – getting those very high yields because the corporates were paying, if they're now going to try and take those routes on leisure flights, you don't have an individual will pay that kind of price. So yeah. what you might now have is, you know, a whole new need for what we could call premium leisure that is not the same as what we had with business configuration. So this is going to be a really interesting discussion for airlines as they move forward. 
because we just don't know when that kind of high yielding business meeting traveler will jump back onto aircraft. Um, And that that's going to be a big worry for a lot of those airlines that invested heavily in long haul operations where a third of their aircraft are with seats that are fixed and they can't do anything with them. And they've got too many and are taking up too much offer relative to be able to then try and charge those high yields to consumers. So interesting times if, the, if this corporate doesn't come back because you can fly to new destinations. Yeah. But you're not expecting people to be paying those high fares in the same way if it was somebody in, in going to New York in, 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 in you know, the banking class. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because, you know, let's say I'm doing a London, New York, and I can get £6,000 business class. If I now do yeah. London Mombasa, as an example, premium yeah. leisure, I can get 3000 yeah. yeah. Maybe. Relative. So, you know, because the leisure cluster is not going to pay 6000 Yeah. For a holiday, relative. Yeah. So how are they going to work that project? You know, have they got the right configuration if we're going to go more on long haul leisure? Yeah. That's were, they, were they perhaps um, a little premature in thinking that business travel might return sooner than it actually has? I mean, is that is that also a factor? Because, I mean, we've been very optimistic about the return of travel and we've seen leisure bounce back very, very strongly. But as you said, business is still not really quite there yet. So. Um, but people were saying it will be, it will be. Um, but I think it's still yet uh, to be determined in terms of actually when we're going to start to see it where it used to be. No, and I think it's, there's opportunities. And I know, Pedro, many, many years ago, before the pandemic, we were talking about leisure. Yeah, this is business yeah, and leisure. And that, can be, that could be a, a really important thing that might come back. And that could work in favor of the airline sector. And they can, they can work with destinations and, 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 and try and put in, you know, incentives, uh, building leisure and business into certain destinations and have the aircraft to support that. But if you've got 36 life flat beds on a high configured route for 10, 11 hours, and you are getting very good yield on those corporate travelers, and that plane can now shift somewhere else, you're not going to have the same yield. And then you've got too many, you've got too many seats relative to what you have in your capacity to be able to yield that plane profitably because Mm. you're going to have to discount to get people to fly in premium but i've got to then take the seats out or put new seats in and go more premium economy which Mm. was the kind of you know airlines were like we put premium economy in to stop people downgrading from business to economy it was like a stop project and then all of a sudden premium economy became important for leisure particularly on night flights coming back when you know you want a bit more comfort and hopefully try and sleep what you might now say is that this is real strategy of of premium leisure and leisure i mean air canada is a great example air canada had this project called air canada rouge they had seven five seven six sevens with a kind of semi semi business seat and then they killed that project in the pandemic because they needed to reduce costs they've now got triple sevens and a330s with fantastic business class for instance they're going to try and do porto Toronto Porto with a triple seven with 36 life flat beds. That's a lot of capacity they've got to sell to get the same yield, putting that flight as if it was coming into Lisbon or going into Madrid. In the past, they could fly with their Rouge project because it was, they didn't, the yielding was completely different. So, you know, these, these are the kind of challenges that airlines will now have if they go more leisure with very high density business class model. 
So, so Gavin, in a way, um, uh, and I'll go, I'll go back to my slide in a minute, but in a way you're saying that the low cost uh, carriers are much better equipped for this bounce back yeah. than the traditional carriers in a way. They, they, have because all the way they, they are leisure, because they are leisure, right? And, and look what happened in the pandemic, who was able to travel and move things quickly was the low cost. You know, all of a sudden we had the situation here that, you know, Spain went red and Portugal was green. So EasyJet Ryanair shifted everything overnight to Portugal, you know, great for Portugal because they could do that. But, you know, if you've been reliant on China or reliant on Japan right. or Korea and they're not being really open, you've had problems. So who really did well in the pandemic were the low cost because they picked up planes, moved them around their bases according to where it was open. So as the leisure's rebounding back, of course, they've been able to develop this and really try and develop and push where they can. What we're now exploring is what next in kind of, let's call it the long haul leisure, yeah. which is this kind of opportunities for some destinations to, to work with airlines. But then the worry would be, do I have the right configuration? Because I was building my, my, my configuration project for those high yielding. Yeah, for New York and for London and, exactly. uh, and, and Sydney, right? <laughs> and now I might have to put them to more leisure destinations where, yeah. you know, the, 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 the total seat profitability is going to be completely different than it was on these big corporate routes. So, yeah, it's wait and see really what happens if the corporate travel comes back as fast as uh, or, or doesn't come back. And maybe this leisure is a new opportunity for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be the way. I mean, obviously, hoteliers are still very confident that revenue for this year is still going to outperform last year's levels. Um, and obviously, with, with with summer coming up, there's a lot of um, anticipation and excitement around that. Um, but uh, what do you feel about autumn and winter? Do you see any concerns for when summer passes and we move into the cooler months? Do you think that uh, the, 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 the need or the desire is still going to be there or do you think it's going to start to whittle away? I think yeah, the, you know, the the capacity is is looking okay. I think you know, uh, not, again, you're not you're not seeing airlines take a knife to the capacity for the coming winter. Mm. It then probably what kicks in now is you know this you know the recession and 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 inflation worries, people's disposable income and how that will impact the kind of the ski trips, the trips to play golf in in in, in southern Europe, etc going to Paris for the weekend to see the museums. Will, will that kind of, we'd got used to kind of these second and third holidays during the winter because fares were low and things were open and it was easy to travel. And, and you know, the, the, the elephant in the room is fuel, yeah? I mean, nobody knows. Yeah. A lot of airlines might use it as an excuse. You know, the good airlines have hedged for, for 22 and 23. So generally fuel is just over $100 a barrel. It was $70 back in 2019. So it's doubled, 50% increase basically in, in the period. The predictions are fuel will drop back to about 90, 80 by 23, 24. So it's kind of using fuel as a bit of an excuse. But for those airlines that haven't been able to hedge as well because they don't have the working capital, you have to think about that. Will that impact um, their costs? Um, yeah. And will we see surcharges because they'll use it as a way to say, well, we need some increased revenue? Or will they start to put fares up? I mean, really interesting. Ryanair had their press releases last week and the, the CEO said, look, their average, their average fare across the system is 40 euros and they need to move it up to 50 euros. And he said, you know, mm -hmm. the, my average fare 
is the same price basically as a Stansted Express that takes you from London. To <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. not, you know, it's not being wrong to say it's got to go from 40 to 50. I think we've really got to say that airline travel, it's been too cheap for too long. Yeah, and yeah it has. No, that's true. Reality, yeah? Yeah. For yeah. Ryanair to say they've got to go from 40 to 50, yeah. it's proving that, you know, that, that that's a bellwether for everybody else. So, well, you know, if they're I, saying yeah. to raise... Yeah. What have we been doing? We've been trying to go lower, and these guys want to go up. Yeah, yeah, but these are the guys that force prices down in the first place. It's very interesting, <laughs> dynamic, isn't it? <laughs> it is quite interesting. Um, Pedro, I apologize. I didn't mean to overlook your previous slide on no, that. No, no, no problem. No problem. I'll go back to it, but I wanted okay. to, to jump on, on the question of what's going to happen in the winter or what's going to yeah. happen in, in sort of the late summer. And up until now, we are seeing some really reasonable trends, right? So if you look at, at the high season, so if you look at actually the show season, so April and May, we see that the peak this year was higher than last than, than in 2019. That has not happened with the high season, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think what has happened is that there's uh, that, that extra pent-up capacity has been we've been consuming it right or that extra demand that pent-up demand we've been consuming it and the peaks have been got have been, have been getting you know shorter and shorter yet um we still you know if you look at october november december we are not in doldrums right we are starting we're starting to see the same level of pickup with that 10 to 20 percent you know gap um, um, uh, but but we're start, starting to see the same level of pickup as in 2019. So at least on the hotel side, we're not feeling the pressure yet on demand for October, November, December. We'll right. have to wait and see, obviously, right? And again, on the books can always be canceled because a lot of people are still booking, you know, very flexible fares. But uh, it looks like things are 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 moving in the right direction. And that on that end, and we're starting to see some 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 um, some hotels with really good uh, with really good uh, with really good occupancies for September. The other slide that I was showing earlier is the yeah. is the is the pricing slide because we were talking about pricing and what we saw in the U.S. Certainly, you know, a big you know in terms of rates booked uh, a, a big increase in the first three months of the year, and then it's been steady. Now the summer always has a little bit of a of a peak here. Um, but but also what we've seen is that the gap in Europe has been tremendous. It's been 20 to 30 percent across all markets. And, you know, but it seems to be plateauing now. It seems to be plateauing now. So uh, we would expect that the booking rates are going to start going down just like they went in 2019. The question mm -hmm. is, is the gap that was, you know, it actually was 50 percent in, in April um, and it's been sh shortening percentage-wise, is that going to start closing and we're going to see the, the dark blue line trending more towards the uh, light blue line or is it actually going to maintain that, that, um, that gap? So I think that's the big question mark that I have for the winter. Actually, it's less on the demand side. It's more on the, you know, are we going to be able to hold these artificially high prices, right? Where we have, you know, hotels in, second tier destinations charging 500 600 euros a night right now i think that's really artificially high to be very honest because um uh, so we'll have to wait and see if we can 
if you can maintain this, those very, very high levels. Yeah. The question for both of you, given that we've spoken about prices both for now aviation and, and hotels, but we're seeing that they're higher than ever now in a post-COVID world. So do you, in your opinions, is this justified now, given that we have the staff shortages that we're having and the travel experiences that we've seen now in 2022? And um, what are your concerns in this regard? What, what do you believe businesses should consider uh, when it comes to their pricing strategies? Gavin, why don't we start with you? I suppose it's, this is where yield management, you know, we've lost the algorithms for the last one and a half years. So we just yeah. basically, what, what can we get away with here? Yeah, and and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> we have what we call the X fair in the GDS. And just close <laughs> that down and just keep pushing up as many of the higher fair categories and, until what, what can we get away with? Uh, is, the, is that right during this, this, this uh, time when you're also then letting consumers down? Um, I think it's, you know, it, it, I said it's, 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 a, it's a small number of people who are affected and relative to the bigger picture. So it, it's, uh, we're only about 1% more, okay, 1% of 100 million relative um, is what we've cancelled in, 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 in the summer. So, yes, if you've been cancelled, you'll be upset. But for a lot of people, it's, uh, you know, it's more the inconvenience of, of the queuing rather than the cancellation. So I think it's, it's probably the airports are more blamed than the airlines to some extent because, you know, the airlines are, are you, you get on the plane. And when you're on the plane, things have been quite well relative. Yeah. Um, mm. I think it's... it's it's yeah, this idea of 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 what what can we take away from it? Was that the other question part of it? Um, it proving that our industry, we you know, we, it's very regulated, much more than hotels. Of course, why would you think that? Sure, because yeah. you are you know you do have unfortunately terrorist and safety issues. So to recruit takes time. Be it airport, you know, an airport security person. It's not like recruiting somebody to work in a restaurant. Have you worked in a restaurant? Yes, we'll go and start there. You know, <laughs> the paperwork that's needed to put somebody in an airport because you don't know who you're putting there, of course. And, and you know, I, I think I heard Emirates, Emirates were on the, the, the CEO. I think they can put like 20 with all what Emirates has. They can train about 20 pilots a week. You know, right. think how much they have in simulators, etc. So you can see how challenging it is for the aviation sector to go from zero to a hundred within this 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 period that we've gone through. So I think what it then says is, do you how do you how do you have a model where you have seven months in the, in the northern hemisphere, seven months in the summer? April to, to October and five months in the winter, which is November to March. So you you plan this kind of seven and five project. And normally you'd plan, we'd be now planning for summer 23 as we're moving into the end of the summer previously. So about 10 months back yeah, on. Yeah. We're now at one or two months planning. You know, we, we've got airlines still thinking they can put in a few more flights in August relative. So <laughs> the whole model has changed. But for that, mm. you need flexible conditions. You need a whole industry to be changed, the way you recruit, the way you run your businesses. And it's been set up very much 7-5, 7-5. We have more aircraft in the summer. We might take some planes out in the winter. Then you'd argue, well, could you work a different model? Could you be a virtual airline and say, okay, I have some, I have some fleet, and then I bring new fleet in according to, so July and August, I know I need more fleet. Let me go and bring in a third party company. And we do have that. We have these companies set up, 
But it's normally for when you have a problem. Oh, my plane's gone technical. How do I get these people home? Call this number. This airline will fly and bring your passengers back. And of course, you may not like getting on somebody else's aircraft, but the benefit of getting home within a one day or getting home in a week, I'll put up with it. But if you're a brand, you know, and airlines like hotels spend a lot of money on saying that their brand is better than somebody else's. Yeah. How can I have my brand with my own fleet, with my own crew trained up and the old great projects of, of what BA had with putting people first and using Marriott spirit to serve programs and training the employees to be great in service. And then you say, okay, for three months we work with another company. No idea who they are. They have a different logo than mine. And how do you bring that logo into my logo? And you kind of, because that's probably what we need. You have, have a kind of a shoestring operation. And then otherwise, we're always going to have this demand, less demand, more demand. So the pandemic taught us to be flexible, nimble. But how do we now? We, we, we're now seeing that the challenges we're facing now is because we need to go back to full capacity for a few months. And then you come September, October, maybe you don't need all those people again. Mm, yeah. And that's probably why we, you know, we've got very just, high what we call cask, yeah. cost available seat kilometer, yeah. where most time our cask is often more than our rask, which is our revenue we get from each seat. So we spend more on our cost than we get from what people pay us to travel. Then we yeah. have ancillaries, which helps to take the rask above the cask. You have to pay for your luggage, you have to pay for your seat. Yeah. So the total cost is better than the, uh, sorry, the total revenue is better than the total cost. But it's through the ancillaries that, that are enabling that. Yeah. So, but that my worry is, yeah, how do you how do you have a virtual brand when an airline is so keen to say that their brand is better than the other airlines? Yes, I mean hotels, Pedro. You've you know, if you look at the hotels, there was a project some years ago, Tui. They developed Sensi yeah, Tui, yeah. where so my hotel, Hotel A, for the summer, take my brand off, and Tui's brand arrived, and they ran it. <laughs> with their brand, and then I put my hotel brand back the next summer. You know, so the hotels adapted, we called it franchising concepts into hotels. Can we franchise concepts into airlines? Mm. Mm. Very good. Okay, gentlemen, we're, we're coming towards the, the end of our time. I just have Andrew, to... let me Let me just make one comment on pricing, right? Because please, please. what Gavin said was absolutely spot on. I think Go for the it. industry has gone to a what can I get away with? mentality and that's really in my opinion a recipe for bad service um, consumer reviews we're gonna wait have to wait and see how consumer reviews are going to come through the summer but if I were a betting man I would say that probably the average is going to be below the average that we had in 2019 because pricing is so high and therefore there's an expectation of service there but on the other hand um, I do think that a lot of um, especially smaller hotels, where energy costs are a very big factor, where, you know, having to hire, you know, um, especially in the luxury segment, having to hire now means I'm going to have to pay higher salaries if I want to have good staff. That also the production costs actually of every night in hotels has increased significantly. I don't think as much as the ADR has. So I think they're, they're getting more margin there. But, but, but it's not, you know, this increase in price is not just greed. I think that there's, in effect, some you know production factors that have increased. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gavin, we have a question for you from the audience, uh, from Rita Machado. Rita, thanks for joining us. Great to have you here. Her question is, how fast do you think airlines will be able to increase automation 
and the use of technology to help offset the HR issues? I think, you know, that airlines are pretty, if you look at the check-in um, and all of the automation that was done with boarding passes and, and self-check-in, you know, the, there's not much more they can do on that process, even where you could use self-drop-off of luggage, mm. which was kind of the last part where you'd have that seat cues. Always somebody's got to say, have you packed your bags? Yes. Is there anything in there that's, that shouldn't be there? No. So, you know, so I think on the on the check-in side, you know, that that's pretty much done. Then, then when you move into security, it's not it's not the airline's responsibility anymore, unfortunately. Um, on board, you, you know, on board it's impossible. I mean, interestingly, this this is how we were in in this summer. EasyJet have a three nineteens with one hundred and fifty four seats that needed four people because of regulation. If they flew with 100, less than 150, they could only have to have three crew. So on some planes, they sold 149 seats only. So they took four or five seats out, and that meant they have one less crew. That, that's how regulated our industry is. You know, that, yeah. And so it's very difficult to put automation on, on board the aircraft because you've got to have people there to help people get off the aircraft. You know, it's not, there's not, you still got to have people. And that's mm. one of the worries when we think of the, the onboard experience that that's what so if one crew member is sick now because of COVID, et cetera, they can't go. Yeah. And so that on the check-in area, I think we've done pretty well. It's the problem yeah. is you can check in quite quickly. You just can't get through security very quick. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, one thing is not the airlines, the airline and the airport, you're, you're kind of moving into different who's who. Whose responsibility is it now? It's the airline is not the security. Check in, yeah. I've done. I could have I arrived at the airport and I've already checked in. I've dropped my bag off and then I hit a two and a half hour queue to go through with my hand luggage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Pedro, anything else that you'd like to go over? No, not really. I just wanted to finish off on a on a positive note, saying, you know, I think Gavin was great in telling us the capacity is there, right? So the airlines are putting as, as many airplanes in the air as possible. I think um, if you look at demand patterns, they've just been absolutely fabulous um, through the summer. So we're gonna have a fantastic summer. I think by the end of the summer, everybody's gonna be in a, what about 2023 mode? Um, the question is gonna be, is there gonna be COVID in the winter? Are there gonna be airline issues in the winter? Um, you know, what, what's the impact of fuel and all this stuff? But I'm still very optimistic that, that we're still seeing very high demand patterns, even for September, for October, and now starting to see November and December. So I'm still very optimistic for the future yeah. for our industry, to be very honest. I think people will want to travel, and um, I just don't see that changing. Yeah. Airbus just relaunched this week. They do their annual every year, every one or two years, they do this big survey. And... Airbus are saying that they're, they're, they're assuming full recovery of all capacity by quarter three of 23. So by July of 23, every all capacity back. And then for the next 20 years, this is what they're forecasting, it's dropped by, it was 4% growth year on year. It's dropped to 3.5% aviation capacity growth year on year. And GDP is at 2.5%. So this added aviation is growing quicker than the GDP of the world. So 
it's whether or not the demand will come in line. Obviously, that's not Airbus's strategy. Airbus sells planes. They don't have to put people on the planes. Yeah. Um, the challenge is, as we said now, it's this idea of business and leisure and the split on your configurations of your cabins and where you'll then maximize, you know, if leisure is the real driver for the future. I think a lot of these long-haul airlines with big, what had big corporate um cabin configurations they're going to have to make some serious works with their design teams on new seat development yeah yeah very interesting yeah couldn't agree more all right well gentlemen thank you very much you. for your your time and and the uh, session today our apologies uh, to the audience we had a uh, malfunction with the linkedin connection today so everyone had to be redirected to youtube I think that's because of the Microsoft outage today that would have caused that disconnect to happen. Wow. So we apologize for that, but we noticed that just as we went live. So we tried to transition everyone across. We see that we got uh, quite a few come across to YouTube. So great that you could join us. Don't forget, there's also the, pre the recorded session that we'll have available on the websites and um, you can always watch it on demand at your leisure. So I think, gentlemen, unless there's anything else you'd like to say, until next time, we'll say no. au revoir, adieu, Thank you. Auf <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.